Pipe him aloft again, matey! We're now developing a master plan that encompasses the theme park and all the facilities around it that will serve the tourists. Captain, a giant squid dead ahead. Stand by, repellent charge. Homo sapiens. <laughs> well, no matter. But after all, <laughs> nobody's perfect. <laughs> Well, as you can see, we're just one big happy family. <laughs> w Radio, your information station. Welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. This is show number 57 for the week of March 9th, 2008. I'm your host, Lou Mangello, and I want to thank you for tuning in once again this week. To all of my new listeners that might be joining us for the first time, I want to welcome you to the show as well. I think you'll find it to be a positive, fun, feel-good look at Walt Disney World that will inform, educate, and entertain you. This weekend, I'm heading to Disneyland in California to compare and contrast the two... Okay, so I'm really going to Disneyland simply to enjoy the parks for a few days, so unfortunately this week, I'm once again recording early and won't have the ability to cover the news and rumors due to when I'm recording. But of course, I'll be back next week with all of the Walt Disney World news and our weekly visit to the Walt Disney World rumor mill. Next month, Disney's Animal Kingdom is going to be celebrating its 10th anniversary, and following in the success of Celebration 25, Adam Roth and his team have put together WDWCelebrations.com and have organized a wild decade, a gathering to commemorate this occasion. So I'm going to be joined by Adam and another member of his team, Jason Diffendahl, to discuss the event and how you can get involved. Tim Foster, author of the Guide to the Magic series of books, is back for another Top 10 with Tim as we reveal our individual Top 10 Snacks to Enjoy in World Showcase. Any discussion of food in Walt Disney World is fun, and in the process, we hope to introduce you to some snacks that you just may have overlooked or never thought to try. It's a fat-free trip around the promenade, guaranteed to leave you hungry at the end. Now, I often get questions about some recommended reading and books that I enjoy about Walt Disney World, Disney history, Walt Disney, etc. So this week, I'm bringing in another guest, George Taylor from the Imagine Nerding blog, to examine and discuss the five books that every Disney geek needs in their library. I won't have time to answer any of your emails this week, but listen for some of your voicemails at the end of the show. So as always, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. Not too long ago, something happened in the online Disney community that marked a dramatic and exciting change. You see, Epcot was celebrating its 25th anniversary, but at one point, Disney said there would be no public celebration. But a single forum post in a Disney community led to months of hard work, causing Disney to stand up and take notice and not only plan a formal celebration, but embrace the work of these fans who were eager to celebrate this event. And at the forefront of this event and the community gathering was Adam Roth, the 16-year-old who reached out to the Disney company and received a welcoming handshake in return. And in so, 
Celebration 25 was born with more than 2,000 people registered to attend, and Adam and his team put together a true once-in-a-lifetime event with the help and cooperation of Disney, making it truly remarkable. Well, Adam and his team didn't stop there, and neither did the people who attended the event, because as quickly as the event ended, people were asking, what's next? And to answer that question, I want to welcome in Adam Roth and Jason Diffendahl, who are principals in the Celebration 25 event and founders of the new www.celebrations.com. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Lou. Thanks, Lou. So, like I said, we all know by now about the success of Celebration 25, really sort of unprecedented. Um, And, you know, I was so happy to be a part of that and so proud to be a part of it. And like I said, you know, as soon as it was over, I mean, even while we were still there, everybody was asking what's next, you know, where they were wondering, was this going to be a single event or was it going to be the start of sort of this ongoing thing? But obviously... The event success led to the creation of WDWCelebrations.com. Why don't you guys go ahead and tell us about the site and the organization and really what's next? Well, uh, as you said, WDW Celebrations was one of those things that we started working on immediately after Celebration 25. In fact, I first contacted Jason about it on October 3rd, two days after uh, Celebration 25 ended. And... Our, our, our primary goal was to make sure that this great relationship that we had formed with the Walt Disney Company, just we wouldn't let it die because this is something that had never been really explored before and on a level that we had and to let that just go to waste would we felt would be irresponsible and we knew that there was uh, a good response back to us asking for more events. So we very quickly started work on our future events and on our website, forming a team, uh, including Tom Corliss, Jason Diffendahl, of course, Jackie Steele, John, and John Crigliano, as well as myself. And we just started working to come up with new events, new ideas that would appeal to our audience as well as a greater one for the future. And with that, we have our more technical aspect, which I'll let Jason cover. So one of the first things that we knew we needed to do was put together a website. And I started out working on the website. We had a number of ideas for the website that we wanted to put into it. Um, The first, of course, was details about the upcoming events that we were planning. The first of which, as we'll talk about in a little bit, is a wild decade celebrating the 10th anniversary of Animal Kingdom on April 22nd. But in addition to just talking uh, about our events, we also wanted to have information on the website that would allow other groups to coordinate uh, their own gatherings. And so we set up a calendar section of the website where other, other fans can organize their own meets, and we will put links to their respective uh, forums or websites. And we just did that uh, for the reopening of Spaceship Earth, which had a little fan gathering on March 1st. Uh, in addition to that, we have a newsletter, which we send out to keep everybody updated about our upcoming events, uh, and, and and a number of other features, too, including, of course, registration for the events and, and some things like that. Yeah, I really like the idea of sort of a, a central repository for people to go to and find out what else is going on, you know, besides just the meets that take place in Walt Disney World every year, whether it be Mouse Fest, whatnot, there's a number of other 
large and small gatherings of people. There might be something like Magic Meets that takes place in Pennsylvania in the summer, and there's a number of other people that decide to get together and meet up in Walt Disney World or whatever it might be. Now, rather having to scour and sort of take time going through all the different online communities, they can now come there and post, and people can can go here and find out what might be taking place either when they're down there or something that they may be interested in that they may want to make a special trip out for. That's right. That was that was definitely one of the first things that we wanted to do with our website uh, was was that sort of fan meet calendar because we knew, knew there were gatherings going on and we thought it was important to have a central location for people to find out about. And so we actually have a number of the meets up on our website listed right now, uh, including, as you mentioned, Magic Meets and MouseFest as well as a couple of others. Again, that goes back to sort of that, that unofficial tagline that, that sort of grew out of Celebration 25, which was that unity in the community. You're not there just to promote your own events. You're there to help people find out about other ones. Um, but let's talk about what is sort of next on the calendar for um, WDW Celebrations. And you made reference to Animal Kingdom's 10th anniversary. People at um, Celebration 25 were saying, okay, well, what's the next big milestone? What's next to celebrate? This was obviously the next logical one. Go ahead and tell us about what's going to take place um, on or around April 22nd. Well, A Wild Decade is actually our first commemorative event that we will have had since Celebration 25. And we have actually lined up a great schedule for this one-day event. It really, you know, it's one of those places that is such a unique park. We definitely wanted to take advantage of all it had to offer. We have a history walk again with John Corigliano that we're looking forward to. One of the highlights of Celebration 25 was, in fact, his history walk. We also have some group rides scheduled for Expedition Everest, uh, a group showing of Finding Nemo the Musical, and a group ride on Countdown to Extinction, now Dinosaur. Um, that ride is a tr- is becoming a tradition for us that we have for our events, what we call Countdown to Finn. For this time, last time it was the Soarin' Last Ride of the Night Meet. And we like to have one last attraction to sort of kick off the event, finish it off with a bang. So we couldn't think of any other one that, that really fit the uh, criteria except Dinosaur. So along with that, we're working on a group meal. Those details haven't been released yet, but we are working on that. There is also going to be an official rededication scheduled right now for about 9 a.m. at Animal Kingdom for the park's 10th anniversary. But you also have to remember that the park is celebrating Earth Day as well. So they will have their special Earth Day activities going on as well as their 10th anniversary commemorative activities. So what we've done is wrapped our event around their, around the Walt Disney Company's schedule, and we're actually working with them to make sure everything we do, again, gets the proper approval because our golden rule is to make sure that everything we have on our schedule is approved by them or it doesn't happen. So it's another one of those events that we're working very closely with the Walt Disney Company to make sure that everything goes smoothly for us as well as the general guests and that way we're giving the park a really great anniversary and giving our guests a really great experience and the great thing is is not only is it just a great day to be in in animal kingdom because of what disney's doing but you've got all these kind of other things plussed on top and i'm sure a few surprises along the way much as you did for celebration 25 the other thing people should realize too 
is all the events are free. Um, all you need to do is register. You don't need there, there is no sort of cost associated with it, and you can kind of come to whatever events you feel like going to. Now, if somebody's interested in attending, what is the best way for them to either let you know or to find out more? What they need to do is head over to our website at www.celebrations.com. Uh, we have the logo right on the front page, A Wild Decade. So just click on that. It'll take you to the details page, which will show our tentative schedule as much as we have available at this point. And then there's also a link to the registration page, which will allow people to register uh, to let us know that you're coming. Uh, I will mention that uh, people need to register in order to attend our event. There's going to be no possibility for walk-up registrations the morning of the event because we need to provide Disney with the total numbers uh, beforehand. And also, we have uh, set a date for registration to end, which is April 14th. That's so that we will have a chance, as I said, to, pro to get the numbers together and provide all the information to Disney. So head over to our website before April 14th if you're interested in registering for a wild decade. Yeah, this is something, um, it, not only in the wake of, of how wonderful Celebration 25 was, but uh, how excited I am about what's going on. It's something I'm going to attend, and uh, I guess it's okay to say maybe at this point that I'm also going to sponsor um, a wild decade. I don't know if you want to maybe reveal some of the other sponsors or kind of wait until that's more official. Um, but I'm real happy to be a part of this, and I'm really, look really looking forward to attending. Well, we have uh, just begun a partnership with mouse fan travel as our official travel provider for all of our events and so mouse fan travel will be there and will sponsor the event as well um and we're working on getting a few more sponsors lined up for this event and our future events as well uh, so we'll have some nice little uh surprises there as well provided by our sponsors and I guess we should probably note, too, that Mouse Fan Travel, um, as the exclusive travel provider, if somebody's interested in going and hasn't made arrangements as yet, they have put together some deals on packages for those attending a wild decade. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes, obviously, over to www.celebrations.com. There you'll, you'll, you'll find a link over to Mouse Fan Travel from the Wild Decade page. Also, you know, we were talking about Celebration 25, and the one thing that I forgot to mention, you know, at the beginning was that during Celebration 25, you guys actually had an official videographer there um, taking professional video, and you've put together a Celebration 25 commemorative DVD. Can you tell us a little bit about the DVD, what's on it, and where people can get it? Yep, so uh, we had Matt Pizzula of Storyboard Weddings at Celebration 25, and he was the official uh, videographer. He put together a DVD runtime of two hours and 17 minutes which includes a lot of the happenings of celebration 25 including the history walks uh, interviews with certain people uh, video from the rope drop and also the chaos of the limited edition merchandise that was available <laughs> that day of course the official rededication ceremony as well uh, video from the group ride meets at Soren and journey to imagination and of course the cap off of the night the dessert party and illuminations including the anniversary tag so overall it's a fantastic dvd the link to order it is over on our website at ww celebrations and i should mention the cost is only twelve dollars which includes shipping and it also includes a two dollar donation uh, from every dvd purchased we're going to donate two dollars to lose dream team project which benefits the make-a-wish foundation and so one of the other things that we sort of built our whole concept of WW Celebrations on is the charity aspect. And so this is just one more way 
for us to to help out the community at large uh, through the Dream Team project. And so we have the proceeds from the DVD sales as well as merchandise sales from our uh, Wild Decade merchandise and things along those lines. Um, proceeds will go to benefit the Dream Team project. Yeah, and thank you again for doing that. I really do appreciate it. And, uh, and everybody who buys a DVD and Matt and all of his work, uh, it really means a great deal. Um, and the fact that you guys decided to include that, um, I can't thank you enough. It's our pleasure. So now, even though a wild decade hasn't happened yet, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say what's next, because obviously, you know, we start thinking about other uh, commemorative events that might be coming up or other things in the pipeline. Adam, I, I know that you already your your wheels have been spinning and there's definitely something even ahead. So because, you know, a wild decade is just God, it's actually just a few weeks away. What else is after that? If people maybe can't get down in April, what else should maybe people have to look forward to? Well, I can honestly say that we have at least another two events lined up for sure. One of which I can't release any details about yet, though our attendees from a wild decade will be getting the first sneak peek at that event. Um, But the one closest up after a wild decade will actually be what we are now calling the Worldwide Weekend, taking place on September 26th through the 28th of 2008. And that is our first WDW Celebration signature event. Um, Right now, we're still working out details for registration, but of course, again, the general event will be free to attend. We're working on a couple of pay-to-attend options, much like we did with our Illuminations Dessert Party at Celebration 25. But this event will be covering all four parks over the course of three days. Um, we have a lot of great connections that we've worked up over the last year and a half, or over the last year, and we're going to be pulling out all the big guns for this event to make sure it really, really is great. Um, we have a really great schedule lined up that we're working on right now. Some incredible surprises that I myself couldn't have even dreamed of. That partially thanks to uh, Mouse Fan Travel again. And we really, we really are working hard on this one. You know, a wild decade is going to be a brief taste of what we have to offer when the worldwide weekend comes around. And uh, it's, it's going to be a really great event. I can't give away too much, but we've got a lot of really, really unique opportunities and surprises in store for our attendees. And again, it's right around the time of the Food and Wine Festival, around NFFC. Um, The weather is always nice, aside from the occasional downpour. So we're really, really looking forward to this. And September couldn't come any sooner. I I wish it could be here next week, but unfortunately, it can't. So the anticipation is definitely going to be rising as we get closer. And not only that, it also happens to coincide with the same weekend as the Expedition Everest Challenge. So if you plan on going down and running in the challenge, or if you've got family members that are going, now you really have no reason not to attend because you've got, you know, a two-for-one special that weekend. You've got uh, the Worldwide Weekend and you've got the Everest Challenge. I make it a three-fur because you also have food and wine. So uh, you're right. It's it's going to be a pretty, um, pretty exciting weekend. Again, for more information about any of these events, go on over to wdwcelebrations.com. You can sign up for their free newsletter. That's kind of the best way to get 
um, the new information as it's released. So, guys, Adam Roth, Jason Diffendahl, I really appreciate you guys coming on, uh, talking to us a little bit about A Wild Decade, all that you're doing to promote this event, all that you're doing to help out the Dream Team Project, and I look forward to seeing you guys in just a few weeks. Thank you again, Lou. Thanks very much. In addition to bringing the Geekometer to really the highest possible level, what I also hope to accomplish with this show is to help you plan your next vacation to Walt Disney World. And in doing so, I'd like to highlight some of the best that Walt Disney World has to offer, give you valuable tips and information, and also point out some of the overlooked experiences and little bits of practical advice, and so much more to really give you the most magical vacation possible. So I also like to present these topics in some fun and different ways, often with the help of special guests. And this week, I want to once again welcome back Tim Foster, author of The Guide to the Magic Books, including the all-new Guide to the Magic for Kids, for yet another Top 10 with Tim segment. All right, so I made, I'm kind of made that up on the fly. I'm not sure if it's going to stick or not. But Tim, welcome back, buddy. <laughs> hey, always a pleasure to be here, Lou. Thanks. Top 10 with Tim. I, I kind of like that. It's got a nice... I, I really like it. Well, of you course. Got one I... <laughs> vote for me. Got it. One vote for me. I love it. So, yeah, because in the past, we've covered some t- different top 10s that dealt with a variety of different themes like the holidays at Walt Disney World and spooky experiences in the park. But this week, in honor of... Well, I guess just the fact that I'm hungry and and just came back from Walt (laughs) Disney World. We're going to look at some of the top 10 snacks in Walt Disney World. Now, you might be saying, well, that's easy, you know, because there's popcorn and pretzels. But don't be so quick to make up your own list yet. Because what what we're actually going to do this week, Tim, is do the top 10 snacks in World Showcase. Because I think so many people overlook so many snacks that are, you know, not only delicious, but they're very unique, uh, often inexpensive and Really, some some nice treats that the different pavilions have to offer. Hey, where else can you eat your way around the world, huh? Exactly. I'm not all. I'm not down right. with drinking around the world. Eating around no. the world is what I like to do. Exactly. <laughs> so what we did was we each made up a list, and we didn't talk about it. We didn't look at each other's list or share it ahead of time. And we're just going to kind of go back and forth down our our, our sort of virtual top ten lists, um, kind of. And I'm sure there'll be overlaps, so we'll cross off ones. As we go through them. So do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? Why don't you take the lead there, Lou? All right. Well, I, I said in the intro, I, you know, I, I mentioned pretzels as something not to include on the list. But I'm actually going to put as number 10 the salted soft pretzel over in Germany. Um, I really mm-hmm. like going to Summerfest as a, a great snack stop. And I'll leave the idea of um, bratwurst with sauerkraut on the side because I'm, I'm really going to focus on sort of dessert-specific treats. Um so I'll leave the bratwurst out, but the pretzel, it's like $3. It's delicious if you like it with mustard, if you like it plain. If you're a beer person, obviously Germany is a great place to go. Um, but really one of my favorite snacks when I go. Uh, pretzels are great. And I, I apologize now ahead of time for as I mispronounce names horribly, which I'm probably going to do for some of these restaurants. But speaking of pretzels, um, one, of my, one of my Illuminations memories was as you're finished – walking around, taking your time, at least I do, listening to the music, 
sometimes you're hungry though and you're looking for that elusive stand that's still open. Most of them are being closed at the time. But one year I found in Norway that the Kringla Bakery was still open and I walked in and got myself, speaking of pretzels, a Kringla sweet pretzel, which was, I never had anything like it before. It's very good, very interesting. Not quite, not quite the salted South Philly pretzel I'm used to, so it was, it was kind of a cool change of pace. I like this. Too. Very different. You would never imagine sweet and pretzel kind of being used in the same sentence. Um, but you're right. It's covered with yeah. like this creamy, sugary thing and, and sliced almonds. And yeah, I was going to say, it has little almonds on it. That's, yeah. That was <clears throat> I'm hungry. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Only nine more to go. <laughs> um, my next one is um, is the funnel cakes over in American Adventure. And I, I know you can get those elsewhere, uh, like over at Sleepy Hollow Refreshments in the Magic Kingdom. You could also get it at, at your local fair. But there's something about eating it maybe when you're watching, like you said, Illuminations, or you're watching somebody over at the American Gardens Theater. There's nothing, I mean, fried dough with sugar. You can get it with ice cream, too. You can also get it with fruit mm-hmm. or chocolate sauce. Uh, it just doesn't get any better than that. It is a good time. <laughs> uh, it's a remember, party I, in your mouth. <laughs> oh, I remember like waiting for. Uh, I I set up shop in the American Adventure Pavilion, waiting for illuminations one night, and for an hour I'm sitting there, and I'm right across from the funnel cake. And I'm not only am I hungry, but I'm desperately thirsty. But I'm by myself, and I'm I don't dare leave and lose my spot. So I had to watch person after person get their funnel cake and get their funnel cake. That was tough. That was difficult. And it just smells. I mean, you can smell it (laughs) as you're walking on the promenade. So Yes, yes. Uh, Anyway, for my next one, I'm going to go over to the China Pavilion. A a couple things there I like, actually. There's uh, the Lotus Blossom Cafe. Uh, little counter service has some some nice dishes. I, last time I was there, I got the uh, shrimp fried rice, which was really good. It, I, it was like I was in a in a restaurant at home having it. Uh, and the, the thing I like with with all the counter service restaurants, and I'll say it at this point in, in World Showcase, is um, most of them will have sitting areas with you know tables and chairs and so forth, where most people will sit. And what I like to do, since you don't have to sit there if you don't want to, I like to take my food out and actually go somewhere else in the pavilion, find a nice quiet spot to sit and get away from all the hubbub and what's going on. And then China is nice because I'll go over and go over by the lily pond and sit there. And it's nice because you have it all to yourself and you can spread out. Um, And and that's a good time. Uh, The other thing at China that I like too is the Joy of Tea Pavilion which if they have smoothies there like you, you'd never had before. Like I had a mango green tea slush there. Uh, very different from the normal you know, strawberry and blueberry and, and those other things. And it, was a, it was a pretty interesting change of pace. Well, you stole my number very five. Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm sorry. That's okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll talk about it again because there's something else I, I like over the Well, I did thing. sneak in two there, so I guess <laughs> I cheated. Oh, there'll be a lot of cheating on mine because I'll mention one <laughs> snack and then like two or three other ones. Well, uh, this whole list is about cheating. So, <laughs> <laughs> so for, for my number eight, uh, I'll preface it by saying I am not a big drinker at all. But, um, you know, if you're, you're walking around the promenade and it's hot and it's late and maybe you're hanging out with friends, there's nothing better than a fiesta margarita over at Mexico. <laughs> It's a combination of lime, strawberry, mango, and kiwi margaritas. It's $8.25. If you don't want the whole giant, you know, fiesta in your mouth, you can get individually flavored ones. There's lime, strawberry, mango, and green apple. 
margaritas. Um, you could also layer them. They do salt. They do sugar. They do plain. Uh, and if you're not a drinker at all, I will give you the non-alcoholic version. Which no, is, you're you're stealing my number eight. Well, go if, ahead. If go. you're not a big drinker at all, then I'm gonna I'm gonna give you to Tim's number eight. So. <laughs> I can take this one. I actually had a feeling you were going to mention the margaritas for some reason. I don't know why, but I hope I'm going the same place you are. I'm going across the uh, across the way over there and uh, getting myself a conga fruit drink. You got it. Toya. Is that you were yep. going? That's yep. right. That's that's good stuff. What's in there? I, I forget what's in it. You got some orange, pineapple, orange, and lime juices. Lime juice. Mm, Three ninety nine. It, it's awesome. That is a good time, and it's well, not—it's not a just so you know—it's not like as overly sweet or overpowering as as it might sound. I mean, it's really, really good. No, well, it's, it's good. It's unique too. It's a you know instead of the sodas and the water and stuff like that. It's a, yummy. It's it's a fiesta in your mouth. It's <laughs> like so. all right, but I believe that was my next one. So we're back to you again. That would be. Um, I'm going to head across World Showcase over to France uh, to the Boulangerie Patisserie. And oh. a Napoleon. You can't go oh. wrong. There's strawberry. There's chocolate. Um, not to mention the other insanely delicious things over there. But for less than four dollars, you can get a delicious Napoleon. You can get either you know wine. You can get a cup of coffee. Nice place to sit outside. Um, not to mention the the coconut pyramid, which also gets a an honorable mention over the year. I know. <laughs> Can you well, tell I was hungry when I made up my list? <laughs> oh, man. Well, I can honestly tell you I've never spent the $4 at the Boulangerie Patisserie. It ends up being more like 12 or 16 because I'll get the Napoleon. The Eclair is the other thing I'll get too. But the one thing I tell about it, and I, I had to warn my daughter this when we went there because we're used to the you know, the, the donut shop Eclair with the Bavarian cream and the, and the, you know, the gloppy chocolate on the top. And your Eclair is from France. These ones I remember are actually filled with chocolate versus the regular cream we're all used to and it's it's like uh slightly slightly bitter very sweet but slightly bitter so it's it's a it was a very different taste i remember my daughter had one got took a bite dad you want to trade you want the rest of this because it was the cream filled donut she was expecting <laughs> but still extraordinary very very good yeah. that's another place too in france a favorite spot they have nice tables and chairs outside but last time i was there i took my ham and cheese croissant in my pastry and I actually walked across to the other side of the fountains in the gardens over by the waterway leading back to Epcot sitting by yourself the lights are going it's it's really nice and peaceful over there that's something I really like to do when I get a chance well, I don't would, think I really snuck in one of my own there so no, I'm going to take it I'm nice. going to take an opportunity to do my next one <laughs> so um this I like. I I will confess I'm a bit of a Starbucks uh, fanatic. Uh, not not a big coffee guy, but I can't go a week without the frappuccinos and the iced lattes and stuff. And uh, walking around World Showcase the last few times, I really never noticed it before, but I noticed this time the stands and and I think there's a few in various places, but they they have coffee and that sort of thing. But iced lattes as well, and I tried the Irish cream iced latte. And oh my goodness, it was, it was, it was so rich and well creamy. Obviously, hence the name. But uh, really good. It, it brought me back to my spring afternoons at Starbucks, sitting outside. Uh, it was a delight. Like I said, there's several stands throughout World Showcase. You'll find them throughout. I think I got this one near Italy. So, but uh, hmm. they're everywhere to be found. Scrumptious. Well, for me, you know, 
after you roll my fat butt out of the boulangerie because oh. I've just had so many <laughs> Napoleons, you could I'll just kind of waddle across the promenade to Crepes des Chefs de France, and I'll have a crepe au chocolat, which is obviously a chocolate crepe. Um, you can also get ones that are filled with strawberries or sugars. Four dollars. Again, very, very unique offering uh, in World Showcase, and they're absolutely delicious. Get it right from the kiosk, right by the water. And like you said, Tim, there's so many nice places to sit, especially at night uh, over in the France Pavilion. Yes. Yeah, they're everywhere. Actually, switching gears to quiet places, this is a a favorite thing I like to do. Uh, Not at night, but in the morning, Uh, particularly if you're staying at the Epcot Resorts and you walk in through the International Gateway, World Showcase, of course, is not open for a little while yet, but as you make your way past the United Kingdom and Canada, the pavilions themselves are closed, but there are little, a couple little pastry carts on the way that are open in the morning. And I found it really nice to get uh, a pastry, and then there's really nobody in World Showcase, just the Segway people riding around and trying to knock you over on their tour in the morning. Uh, but it's great there because they have my favorite Walt Disney World pastry of all time, and it's the cheese Danish. And I had my first one way back in the, the Main Street Bakery in the Magic Kingdom. I was so happy to find that they were uh, in Epcot, too, and then probably they're in every one of the parks. But these Danishes, not like anything you've ever seen. They're big, they're sticky, and it's it's... Most cheese danishes you get, they have a little spattering of cheese in the middle. No, this is like somebody took a big cheesecake, got the biggest spoon <laughs> out they could, scraped off top, just plopped it in the middle. Oh, my goodness. It's a good time. So I found it's nice in World Showcase in the, in the morning. There's nobody there. Grab yourself a pastry, a little coffee if that's your pleasure. Sit down. Look over the lake. Wonderful times. <sighs> Is, now, is that your next one? or, or That we, was my next one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mentioned what number are we on, by the way? I think, well, I'm, according to my list, this is my number five. Excellent. Okay. So, you mentioned the Joy of Tea Cart before. You mentioned the Mango Green Tea Slush, which is non alcoholic. There's also alcoholic drinks there, but what I really like is the flavored iced oolong tea. There's also, mm. if it's really hot out, there's green tea ice cream. And uh, caramel ginger ice cream. And if you're a tea fan, there's lots of different varieties of hot and cold tea teas there. But I like, I really like the um, the iced oolong tea. And again, the uh, the caramel ginger ice cream is pretty sweet. Pardon the pun Very as well. Nice. You know, because it's never hot in Florida. No, uh-huh. no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> hey, speaking of ice cream, this this was uh, the next one is a discovery my daughter and I made when we were going around. World Showcase way back when, when she was filling in her little passport book. And that's in Italy at the gelato stand, which moves around. It's the, it's the cart with the donkey on it. If you happen to see that, that's what that is. And they have different flavors uh, of gelato, Italian ice cream. But I recommend, I mean, you got your vanilla, ho-hum. But go for the pistachio. It's it's green, it's weird, it's, it's a little odd, but... Uh, it's it's really good and it's it's neat because it's not something you can find anywhere. So we like to grab ourselves a little cup, go into the courtyard, sit down. And that was a nice little discovery. And that's something we always try to do when we go back. That must be an Italian thing because my grandmother loved pistachio ice cream, and I said, "Who who decided to put nuts? <laughs> you know, flavor ice cream like a pistachio nut?" So hey, it works. 
I'm not Italian. It works for me. Dude, I I suffered through a lot of birthday cakes with the pistachio and cherry (laughs) vanilla ice cream, and I swore that I would never do it again. So So you're off the pistachio gelato, I guess. No, but when I get to number three, I'll be back to the pistachios again. (laughs) All right. Um, But my number four is in one of, if not my favorite pavilion world showcase. It's over in Japan, and it's the Kakigori for two and a quarter. uh, It's shaved ice kind of mm. sort of along the lines of what you'd get maybe at your local carnival or, or boardwalk with different fruit syrup toppings. They have strawberry, honeydew melon, which is delicious, tangerine or rainbow, which is obviously all three flavors. Again, it's it's two and a quarter. Um, it's great, especially when it's hot out. It's, it's unique the way it's prepared as opposed to what you might be used to. Um, really, really good treat for, especially for kids too. Kids love the kakigoris. And like I said, it's never hot in Florida. That's funny. I will, if you're going to get that, though, it's a, it reminds me of a funny story. It is a lot that they give you. And just be a little careful because um, I was down there. My parents got one. I don't think they had one before. And my, uh, my, fa- my stepfather had a nice, clean white shirt on. And he must have gotten cherry or, or strawberry or something. You can see where this is going. You know, big red stain <laughs> on the shirt. He loved it. But, you know, you got to taste it for the rest of the day. But just, it's a lot. Be careful. But it's very good. You're right. Um, oh, on to my number four. This was, uh, this was fun. At one point, I decided that having been to World Showcase many, many times and kind of finding your favorite places to eat, I realized I wasn't hitting all the countries. So I made it a point. I'm going to have something to eat at every country in World Showcase. And the last one I got to was Morocco. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. I don't know if I'm going to pick what you picked, but uh, I just went for lunch one day and I got myself a, I'm going to say this wrong, shawarma sandwich, lamb sandwich. And uh, very nice. I've had a couple of those actually. And, and uh, one I enjoyed in a table in the courtyard while watching uh, Moroccan play, which was which was very nice. Uh, the other thing I did too, which is cool, I took it over to the United Kingdom and sat in the courtyard and caught a little British invasion, my favorite thing to do down there. And uh, but was, it, that it, your, it, just, was that your British accent right there? Just, yes, it was, my lord. <laughs> just so I know. <laughs> did you like it? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll put that one to bed. <laughs> I will not do my Moroccan accent, though, when I talk about my (laughs) Moroccan treat, which is my number three. Don't let the menu fool you. Like I said, I I was concentrating more on sort of desserty snacks. If you go into the Tangerine Cafe, which is a small uh, half-outdoor, half-indoor cafe on the right side of the pavilion, if you're facing it from the, the promenade, if you go in the back, there's a small, very, very small coffee bar back there. Mm-hmm. And they have wonderful and very, very unique pastries. Um, a, a lot of different types of baklavas. And, and baklava, in case you don't know, is it's made out of a, a phyllo dough. And it's filled with things like chopped walnuts or, again, back to the pistachios. And it has uh, – it often is kind of sweetened with um, a different type of syrup or usually like a honey drizzled over it. A lot of different varieties of it. Here is where the pistachios totally work. You sit there, you get yourself a little bit of Moroccan mint tea, sit outside, you know, just the pavilion is beautiful at at night um, and really one of those overlooked snacks that I think if you haven't tried it before, 
this is one of the ones, again, you're, you're looking at the tea is about $2 and the pastries are, are maybe $3, $4 max. So for 5 bucks, you can really have a nice um, nice little snack, something very different. Ah, oh, baklava. That, that is very good. <laughs> well, I'm going to go not too far away. My number three, I guess I'm up to. This is kind of an obvious one. I'm sure everyone's done it. But the United Kingdom Fish and Chips mm. is uh, mm, that's a good time. And that's, that's again, I love to take them and head on over to the, uh, the courtyard in the United Kingdom Pavilion and relax. My only, my only problem with the fish and chips are those little tiny, tiny tartar sauce packs that I can't open for the life of me. I'll get 10 because I know I won't be able to get five, especially after I've had a few bites and my fingers are nice and greasy and all that. But, but, but they are very good and, uh, I won't do my English accent. I was about to learn. Okay. So cheerio, Lutz. Oh, I knew it was going to come out again. (laughs) Well, I'm going to go back around the promenade. I'm going to run away from you screaming as you do your uh, your British invasion <laughs> <laughs> routine back there. Because when I saw the sign uh, over at the Cantina de San Angel for Buñuelos, I did virtual cartwheels in my mind because um, oh, I won't tell you how I know about Buñuelos and why I used to eat them, but I knew somebody that made fresh Buñuelos at home. And Buñuelos are sort of these round, doughy, fritters that are, are sprinkled with sugar um, but the ones that I was used to that were, were fresh and made and, and sort of like baseball sized are very different than the ones you get here but they're still good um, these are, are pre-packaged but they're a little more on the crispy side so if you've ever had Buñuelos before uh, it's a it's a South American um, sort of dish and sort of dessert or something you know people have it for breakfast but these are crispy um, and small and they are pre-packaged but they're they're pretty good, so I'm gonna I'm I'm giving you two for one on this one, and I'm gonna Uh-oh. I'm gonna run away because I didn't like these as much as I had hoped, and I'm gonna to go with the uh, torta de regatta, which is the regatta cheesecake over in Italy. That's three ninety five. Now you're talking. You get your espresso or your cappuccino, sit over by uh, the Isola in Italy and sit by the water. That's my number two. Well, I would pay $395 to see you do a cartwheel. <laughs> Especially as I'm waddling out of, of the, of the, uh, With the boulangerie. With and powdered <laughs> sugar on your face and so forth. Oh, well, I'm heading over to uh, Canada, actually, believe it or not. Now, this actually is one pavilion that doesn't have much in the way of uh, eating beyond the, the main restaurant that's there. But uh, the one thing I did discover in the gift shop is uh, the maple candy. And I, ha- I have some bad news for you. They don't have it anymore. They don't have it anymore. Well, I'll tell you, then this is my number two most cherished memory of a snack. <laughs> and I'll still, I'm going to tell you about it and uh, make you sad because you can't get it anymore. But uh, I guess this is mostly a north, northern or northeast kind of thing with Vermont and that sort of thing. But but the maple candy, it's, it's just... I guess it's just really compacted sugar with, with maple flavoring in it. But it, it's really good because you get it and it melts in your mouth. You don't have to chew it. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, but I guess if they're not there anymore, the last time I was there, they do have – I gathered their Canadian candy bars, like a whole variety of them there. So, so you can at least get your sweet tooth there. And it was kind of neat because they're not the candy bars you're used to, like your Snickers and your Milky Way. They're, 
bunch of oddball ones, so that was kind of nice. But you totally bummed me out that those maple candies aren't there. I'm going to go on. I'm starting a petition, and I hope you'll be. Well, I'm with it because my wife loves those. So that was something I used to bring home for her. Then, of course, you know, when I found out they didn't have them, I had to go buy jewelry for all my research trips. So, oh, that sucks. I was just there not too long ago, and they were there. But, oh, uh, I don't know. Maybe it, they're it, back. Maybe they're back. Well, and- I, I think research trips are in order. Everybody I, go out there, see if they're still there. If they're not, pound your fist. Say, I need that maple candy back. And, uh, well, but it, it was it was uh, so delicious. Well, they also had Canada also used to have the beaver tails, which were which were great, which are right on the promenade on the kiosk. Those aren't there anymore either. And, and those uh-huh. are some that would have made my list. Mm. Oh well. <laughs> is it is it time for my number one or is it your number I one? I think it is time for your number one. My number one, um, believe it or not, is over at the Kringla Bakery Og Cafe in mm-hmm. Norway. And my favorite snack to get is Alefsa. And and I made the mistake of pronouncing it wrong, so I thank uh, Liz for, for giving me the pre- correct pronunciation. Alefsa is it's odd because it's it's made from potatoes as opposed to like you know a flatbread or something like that. it's um, it's like a potato bread that's mixed with butter and cinnamon sugar and rolled and cut so it's almost like a lo- almost like the, the the size and shape of a churro that's cut in half uh, it's only a dollar ninety nine you get two of them they're delicious I usually like to get like a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and sit out in the covered area right by the stave church and have it. Um, I think they're delicious. You, this is one of the things. Spend the two dollars and go and try them. And uh, Tim, if you've never had it before, I will. I will treat you to a lefsa because I guarantee you'll love it. I'm in. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> hey, for my number one, I'm going for more of a sentimental choice for mine. Um, we're going over to the Japan Pavilion, and the Japan Pavilion, without getting too deep into it, is actually a very special pavilion to me. It's my my daughter loves the Japan Pavilion very much, and we've had a lot of nice moments there. So I always make my way over there. We go into the department store and look around, and, and she's into all that stuff, the anime and, and everything. And, and uh, uh, one of my favorite places of all in World Showcase, and one of my memories, I'm going to do a couple things here. Back when my daughter was littler, and we were touring World Showcase, getting autographs and such. We were there when, and I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, the Mayuki, the candy lady was there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I remember my daughter get, getting to the, she got to the front of the crowd and she's getting ready to get her candy made. And it looked for all the world like she was getting one, but she ended up giving it to another boy that was next to her. And it kind of brought some tears. And uh, but, but we got through it. It was okay. But if you do see her, she's, she's amazing what she does with uh, sculpting uh, animals and so forth from candy. Uh, really amazing to watch. But the food of my selection or the snack of my selection at Japan is found in the department store and it's a, I'm not sure how to describe it, it's called Pocky. Mm-hmm. And it's actually sold anywhere. It's not just an exclusive Dis- Disney thing, but a very Japanese thing. It's a little, little sticks like cookie sticks covered with chocolate or white chocolate or strawberry depending on what kind you get and I said it's a very sentimental thing because my daughter always gets it whenever I go I always pick her up uh, a little box just for her big box for Christmas and um, she absolutely adores it whenever we find it we get it so that is my sentimental number one snack in World Showcase yeah and there's a lot of stuff obviously that we didn't talk about like the different chocolates in Germany and, and some mm-hmm. of the different snacks. I mean, we could go on and we can have the top hundred snacks. 
And to that end, you know, when you talk about Japan, something else I like to do is I'll try anything once. And I love Japanese food. I love the Japanese culture. I love the pavilion. So I like to go in to the Mitsukoshi department store. If you go over by the sake bar all the way um, in the back, they have a lot of different, this is probably where you get your pocky, different types of candies, different types of snacks. You can't read 90% of what they are, (laughs) but I like to buy something different every time and just try it. Um, Yes, I've tried things like the shrimp-flavored chips. Mm -hmm. uh, There's a lot of fish-flavored, you know, crunchy snacks that you wouldn't imagine, and some, you know, might not please every palate, and I'm being very diplomatic when I say that, but some (laughs) things, you know, you got to try it once, and I'll spend the dollar or two dollars, buy a little snack, uh, and, and give it a shot. Um, while, while I'm sitting there just to say that I tried it. So it's a lot of yeah. fun going in, you know, almost like a crapshoot, just to see, you know, <laughs> grabbing something and seeing if you like it. I grabbed a bag. I remember once I was there by myself, I grabbed a bag of, you know, a little, like a mixed uh, snack kind of thing, like a, like a trail mix kind of thing. I didn't know what it was. And I got it home, or back to the resort, and I'm eating it. it spicy? Oh, I'm, I'm eating like <laughs> I, I had to have continuous glasses of water. It was good, but yeah, I I didn't read that on the in the fine print. Not that I could read the fine print. So, good, <laughs> but, good stuff. Yeah, I, I want to add. The- I want to add parenthetically for everybody, real quick, for all the snacks we're talking about. Lots of uh, I won't say no, all this stuff was the best food you can have to eat for you health wise, but you're at Disney, it's okay. That's but right. you, you, if you are feeling guilty. You can go to the outpost and get a piece of fruit. I just want to throw that out there. Fruit? It's there. I, I know. I, I have know, to edit that part out. No fruit. I know. <laughs> well, here, do this. Eat. Get your fruit, eat it, and that forgives you for the rest of the day. You can eat anything you want. Think about how I, much you're I, walking. I read that Think about how much you're walking and how much you're exactly. sweating and everything. You're, you're, that, you need this energy. You need this sugar to make your way around. You know, Epcot's a huge park. You need the energy to make your way around the promenade and to make your way through World Showcase and, and, and through Future World. So you but can I rationalize told, it however you need to. Hey, believe it or not, I told this is my Disney weight loss plan, and it, it really worked. I, if, if you're there, it helps more if you're by yourself. But I was there once. I didn't eat big meals. I just snacked all over them, like, like a sandwich here and an eclair there. But between that, not eating a lot and walking all over the place... I think I lost a pound. It really worked. So there you go. That's my health tip for everybody. The well, Disney weight loss plan. <laughs> like I said, you know, we talk, we joke uh, <laughs> about doing the eat around the world. And you can do it. And, I, and I've tried to do it. I only made it as far as nine pavilions. Yeah. Trying to grab a little snack um, from each place. You can't do it during food and wine during all the uh, with all the kiosks out there. But again, the, you know, so much about Walt Disney World is quality and obviously the quantity of different types of foods that are out there. And this was sort of just a quick look at some of our favorite snacks in World Showcase. Um, I'm sure if, if you if you either tried some of these or maybe if you haven't before, hopefully we introduced you to ones that you might want to give a shot next time you go. Tim Foster is from GuideToTheMagic.com. Like I said, he is the author of, of the uh, wildly popular Guide to the Magic books as well as the new Guide to the Magic for Kids. Tim, I want you to come back. We'll do some more of these different themed top 10 with Tim segments. Thank you very much for coming back on. This was a lot of fun. Um, if I wasn't hungry before, I'm I'm literally famished now. Oh, again, I'm starving. Right? Yeah, and I see research trip in our, in our near future. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Lou. Thanks, buddy. 
I get questions all the time on the show about recommended reading and great books about Walt Disney World and Walt Disney, the parks, history, Imagineering, etc. And while I've recommended some in the past and even had a number of authors on the show, what I want to do is really take a look at some books that aren't only kind of required reading for the Walt Disney World and Disney fan, but some that are truly overlooked. And what I'd hope to do is get some experts in the field who could really talk intelligently about some of the finest literary works in the genre. But like Muppet Vision 3D, unfortunately, none of them showed up. But I was able to get someone who works cheap and on short notice, and he is George Taylor, one half of Imaginerding.com, a blog about some of those Disney details and geeky facts that we love to explore here on the show. And they're also self-proclaimed voracious readers of theme park books. So I thought George could come on and talk about some of the wonderful books out there that every Disney fan and certainly every Disney geek should have in their library. George, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lou. It's great to be here. Uh, The studio is beautiful. Thank Thank you so much for flying me up here and uh, spending all this money to have me, you know, do this with you. What Uh, What did you think of the jet? Kind of cramped, a little small. I figured some of your stature would have such a huge monolithic fleet. <laughs> of, anyways, we're getting a little bit off topic even before we've started. That's great. Oh, I can well, see where this is going to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, when you when you contacted me wanted to do this, Lou, you said, let's do the top five, and I could not limit myself to the top five, so we're going to go with the top six. Okay. If that's okay with you. That's right. And really, you know, when we were kind of talking back and forth, we realized that since there are so many great books covering a variety of different Disney topics, we thought that we'd maybe start off with the top five or top six books that every Disney fan should own. And we wanted to also make sure that, and you made a good point, make sure that these books were still readily available. Even if they necessarily can't be found in your local bookstore, there's plenty of places you can find them online. Um, But real quickly, tell us a little bit about you and your background, because it's kind of important as to why we're covering books and and maybe uh, sort of your your rise to geekdom and and when the Disney bugs sort of first bit you. Yep. Um, I am a public librarian, and I've been working in public libraries since I was 16 years. I'm not going to tell you how old I am now, so you can, you know, figure that one out. But I've always loved reading, always been a huge fan. It's always been my dream to visit Walt Disney World since I was four, but I didn't get to do it until much later. And some of the first books I bought started about 1995 were the souvenir guides that you can find in the parks that they produce every year, just the big color, you know, f- glossy pictures, and it just sort of ignited my interest in finding books. And Back in the mid-90s, there was not a lot out there that was published. And thanks to my lovely wife, she spends a lot of time hunting these things down on eBay and Amazon. And I've got about 160 Disney books in my collection so far, and it's growing. And I love reading. I've always enjoyed it and tear through as many books as I can going through it. So, And I do have to admit before we get started, my very favorite Disney books of all time are the Walt Disney World Trivia Books, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Well, you know, you see... You'll, <laughs> you'll send a check next, right? Is that yeah, because and when I went through your list book by book, you know, I, I made note that it was, you made a definite choice to leave off the Walt Disney World Trivia books, now available two for 20 at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. Uh, that was made painfully obvious, but that's okay. I should definitely it was a, not... It's a foregone conclusion. No, no, They're no, at no, the listen, top. They're at the very top. The, the books on this list, I definitely <laughs> uh, certainly don't expect to be um, in, you know, considering the same class as these. So let's go ahead and get started. Let's start off okay. with the first book on your list. And I would definitely agree with you. I'll start off by saying this should probably be on the top of every Disney fan's list. Yeah, the way uh, the 
Since the World Began by Jeff Curdy was published in 1996, and it was one of the first books that Disney published uh, for the outside book market, so to speak. And I think a lot of people ate it up. It was published for the 25th anniversary of Disney World and really celebrates 25 years of Walt Disney World history. It's one of the first official resources for Disney history, and I love this book. A little bit about Jeff before we get started. Now, this is not Jeff Pepper. I know everybody got confused listening. This is Jeff Curdy. He's a former Imagineer. Uh, he's currently an author, writer, and a consultant to the television and film industry, so the guy knows what he's talking about. Um, as I mentioned, this is a great overall look at Walt Disney World. Jeff starts us off with the general history of Walt Disney World, including the land purchases, where the idea of the Florida project came from, and the importance of Walt Disney himself in the whole project for what it's named. He takes us through the whole history up until 96 through eight chapters. And, of course, the first couple of chapters about the Magic Kingdom and Epcot are the largest since they were the biggest part of the Walt Disney World projects. It covers building the canals, how they had to basically terraform the land, dredging Bay Lake, and all these little great backstories and histories, and beautiful, beautiful full-color photos, some of them which have only been published in this volume. Uh, it goes all the way up through Epcot, talks about the creation of that, the construction, gives you an idea of all the pavilions with some of the, uh, the concept art, the sketches. You know, when, I, when I think about this book, it's as you mentioned, Lou, it's probably the one reference book that everybody should have once they get started learning about Walt Disney World. If they want to just jump in, it is fantastic. He does, since it's in 1996 when it was published, it does end up talking about the Disney MGM Studios, as it was called back then. And then they dream a little bit, and they mention plans for the Animal Kingdom and the Disney Cruise Line and Disney's wide world of sports. So there is quite a bit covered, and it's 192 pages. And this one is still available. So you can purchase this one through a bookstore on Amazon, through eBay if you want to. And it's just its a wonderful book. Absolutely wonderful resource. Can't say much else about it. Tons of concept, artwork, tons of pictures. Um, great little thing. Uh, one of my favorite segments is there's little call-out boxes throughout the book where he'll bring your attention to very specific um, items that have importance, like the Reedy Creek Improvement District. talks about the, how important the monorail is, each of the hotels, the advanced systems, and the environmentality project that Disney has. Like I said, this is probably number one on my list just for the simple fact that you know it's got a little bit of everything in it. Yeah, I think everybody's going to enjoy it. I have to say, this is probably you know far and away my favorite book. It's it's one of definitely the the few de facto reference sources that I've used, and I think a lot of people do use. But I, I think above and beyond anything else, like you made reference to, the book is beautiful in the fact that it has it it's it's a high gloss book. There are uh, incredible pictures of, like you said, the concept art and some various different kind of views of in and around the parks, the construction photos, um, especially in the Magic Kingdom and the history that it gives. And it's, it's a very easy-to-read book, too. Um, it's a fun, easy-to-read book. It doesn't read like you know stereo instructions. Um, it's very linear, and, uh, and it's very entertaining. And I think Jeff does an, an absolutely incredible, incredible job. And like you said, a lot of the photos and information you see in here, you're not going to find anywhere else. Yeah, I agree with you. If this, On the whole list that we're going to present, this is one of the two that I think everybody should have. 
And of course, it's just got information you can't find anywhere else. Um, yeah. Even on the web. So. Yeah, and, and like all the books we're going to cover today, I'll put links in the show notes to where you can find them online, whether it be Amazon or some other places. Uh, but yeah, I, I think we could probably spend a whole segment talking about Since the World Began. Definitely belongs at number one. But let's go ahead and um, and get to the second book on your list. Okay. But, yeah, the second book is um, Disney, The First 100 Years. This is the only book that we're going to talk about that is actually out of print. You can purchase it fairly cheaply, if I can use that word, on eBay and Amazon. You, you might find it uh, through some used booksellers. Uh, one of the reasons I like this, of course, is it was written by Dave Smith, who is head of the Walt Disney Archives, actually created the archives back in 1971, a little bit earlier than that. Uh, so he's sort of my hero, fellow librarian, so i got to give him props for that. But anyways, Disney, the first 100 years, was published in 1999 to celebrate, you know, to say in other words, just the first 100 years of the company, including Walt's early life. So they went along with the 100 years of magic celebration that uh, we had back in 2001. And it's basically it's sort of like a cross between, uh, cross between a chronology of the Disney company and a history presented almost like it's in an encyclopedia format. Starts exactly where you think it would. It starts with Walt Disney's birth in 1901, excuse me, and ends with a forecast look at, you know, DCA and the Animal Kingdom Lodge. You know, which is kind of funny to look back and realize they had not, you know, even broken ground on Disney's California Adventure or the Animal Kingdom Lodge. There was still a little blue sky in this book. Um, I put this one in the top five because it's such a great introduction to the company in one fell swoop. You don't have to go through and read. 20 different biographies of Walt or of the company to get a good overview of what they've done. Lots of family photos uh, in the book that Dave was able to raid the archives, so to speak. And there's pictures of Marceline, pictures of Walt uh, with his friend Walt Pfeiffer. You know, we'll leave it to the readers to go investigate, or listeners to go investigate it. But he does move through, Dave Smith does move through the company and almost goes year by year and covers everything that happens in Walt's life, you know, with him being in the Red Cross, talking about him working in Kansas City, meeting Ub Iwerks, and when they created their first studio, you know, when Walt moved to California and eventually started the studio with Roy, you know, as the one that we know today. Uh, as he moves on, he covers the book in different sections. He does uh, the early years, and then he does 1925 to 1949, which is mostly covering animation and as Walt gets into the throes of live action. He's got, um, and starts thinking about building Disneyland or a theme park. And then he does cover 1950 to 74, which does have a lot of TV like the Mickey Mouse Club, the development of the theme parks, and Walt's passing, of course, is covered from 1966. And then it even hits 1975 to 2000. The studio's transitions after Walt and how uh, Eisner came in and took over and what he did. And it, it talks about the Florida Project, the films they've done since then, and the rebirth of Disney animation in the late 80s. It's, uh, it's a very positive work. I really enjoy it. It covers all the major milestones of the first 100 years. Uh, if you're looking for like, an overview of the company, it's a great way, and one of my favorite things is just to pull the book out and flip it open, and you'll find something on every page. Lots of photographs, lots of photographs. I think that's what all the books I picked, 
have lots of photographs. I wonder if that says something about myself. <laughs> you know, you're like a knows. kid. You want just yeah, I just want a lot of pictures, not a lot. I of just want the pictures, reading. and that's all. But you know, it's this book is close to my heart because you know Dave Smith wrote it. But there are some amazing pictures of Disneyland, which we don't cover a lot on uh, this coast, the East Coast, so to speak. And it's just a great overview. You can flip to any page, and you're going to find out what was happening during that year or the the uh, couple of years that the Walt Disney Company was doing. Well, I think even if you are primarily interested in Walt Disney World, for example, and you really, you know, that's where your, your, your focus and your interest is, I think it's an important book because you need to establish a background. If you really want to be, you know, the quote-unquote true Disney geek, you need to have a background of not only Walt's life, but a history of the company and what they did with animation and TV. And you'll, it'll, a lot of also things you see in Walt Disney World will start to make sense. You know, we point out, and Jeff is obviously very good making reference to old movies and, and sort of these subtle tributes that you find throughout the parks. This will give you a lot of that background. And like you said, a very easy-to-read format. It's under 200 pages. But most mm-hmm. importantly, the photos in here, again, are beautiful, uh, also including ones from Walt Disney World that you're not going to find anywhere else. You know, I know I remember seeing a, a picture of the Disneyana shop um, that used to be by the old where the Walt Disney Story is an exposition hall and I've never seen that photo anywhere else than other than this book and the linear fashion it takes taking you through the chronology of not only Walt's life but the company and the theme parks uh, it really is a great primer uh, for anybody that's interested whether you're interested in just the theme parks or anything else Um, and like you said Dave Smith you know his name alone speaks volumes for um, what he knows and, and what he has access to Oh, I agree. Like I said, he's my hero, and you know, if I could find a big poster of him to hang in my office, I would. But just haven't found that one yet. I don't know why they don't market that to us, you know, librarian Disney geeks. That's what it's all about. So, all right, let's move on to you know three and three A sort of because you kind of have these two <laughs> jumbled together, but rightly so because they they do kind of work um, in tandem. Sure. The the next two books that I want to talk about are both by Imagineer Jason Sorrell, who you've talked to before on the show. Uh, the guy is amazing. Uh, he's uh, still working for the company, one of the authors, um, currently writing lots of history books. He's got a few in the pipe that I'm very, 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 very excited about, about legendary Imagineers, but we'll talk about that later. And Star uh, Wars. He's, and, and which one? The Star Wars connection to the parks. Which is? You didn't know about this? You don't know? Wait, you obviously wait don't minute, listen to the minute. show. What are you doing here? <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm, I'm testing you. Jeff told me, Jeff Jeff Pepper told me that whenever you said something, just to let you go with it so you, you know, you'd feel better <laughs> about the, uh, well, um, well, well, enlighten me, please, please. I, I sit at your feet. <laughs> yeah, J- uh, Jason Sorrell, the next book he's working on is going to be basically about Star Wars and George Lucas and his connection to the Disney theme parks. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I remember hearing you say that on, on one of your shows. Um, I, I don't have that one in front of me right now, but <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm nice sure cover. I could pull it up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, uh, <laughs> Jason is an Imagineer, author, show writer. He's done so many so many things in the company. And I think one of the, the coolest moments, and we won't spend too much time talking about Mouse Fest, even though it was one of the awesomest times of my life, I just coined that word, is um, being in the Haunted Mansion with you and Jeff and Jessica and Fred and talking about uh, the stretching room and some of the changes and you kind of leaned into me and said these changes were Jason's idea 
And I was like, ooh, that was pretty exciting. Just the fact that he is a working Imagineer and he's able to, you know, plus rides, make those changes. But I think I've digressed enough. Uh, Jason Sorrell has written two books, one about Pirates of the Caribbean from the Magic Kingdom of the Movies and The Haunted Mansion from the Magic Kingdom of the Movies. Both of these books are simply amazing. Um, first one we'll look at was not actually the first one published. Pirates of the Caribbean was published in 2005. The Haunted Mansion book was 2003. But since Pirates was first, traction-wise, I figure we should talk about that one first. Um, for Pirates, Jason really spent a lot of time talking about the development of the ride in the book. And what's great about both of these books is he spends some time at the beginning talking about the development of the ride, some of the ideas they went through, what the Imagineers did with and without Walt, because both of these rides sort of happened in the transition period of his passing. And from there, he talks about the different rides all over the world, the different versions, and then he ends up with the movies themselves. Um, Pirates, he talks about uh, the development of New Orleans Square and how originally Pirates was going to be a museum-type walk-through attraction with wax figures and the park operators kind of said no we can't have that we need to have a, a people leader so to speak something that will take a lot of uh, you know hundreds of people an hour if not more than that and after the 1964-65 World's Fair and they had the ride mechanism from It's a Small World from the Coca-Cola oh, Coke or Pepsi uh oh I didn't say that the UNICEF <laughs> I have to go grab my other reference book and figure out which one that was. Um, I think it was Pepsi, wasn't it? Anyways, it doesn't matter. The UNICEF ride where they developed the canal boats, and they decided they could use that for pirates and that it would work really well. So they actually tore up the ground in New Orleans Square that they had and had to move the uh, ride outside of Disneyland. I hope I didn't ruin any magic for anybody. Um, but it's... It's just such an amazing part of the book, talking about the development and how Walt was heavily involved with it, sort of in between the World's Fair. They had this idea for this almost from like 1959 or 1960 and just weren't able to execute it. Um, Mark Davis, legendary animation uh, uh, and Imagineer, did almost all the sketches and the gags for the rides. Claude Coates did the sets. Blaine Gibson did the sculptures of all the animatronics. And Exitensio, of course did the script and created that amazing song that we sing all day long, or at least I do. I don't know about the rest of you guys. Um, but he talks about, Jason talks about bringing everything together and the ride debuting and Walt saying it's not ready yet and they work some more and just that how everything, it's just wonderful look at the pre-production artwork, the stills, everything at the beginning. The, the second section of the book as I mentioned earlier, talks about the different rides throughout the world. What's different between the Haunted Mansion, uh, the Pirates ride at Disneyland, the Magic Kingdom, Tokyo Disneyland, and then Disneyland Paris. They actually go scene by scene uh, based on the original attraction at Disneyland and show you where the different rides break off. For instance, um, with the one at Japan, Tokyo Disneyland, they said that there was really no good translation for dead man, dead men tell no tales, and the closest that they had was no mouth on a dead person, which really didn't make sense. So they changed what they were saying in the attraction to, if you're not careful, you will not pass this way again. 
which I think you know has an ominous ring that Dead Men Tell No Tales has. Uh, from there, he just talks about the different parks. The interview, he talks to Tony Baxter, who has uh, took over most of the design for the Disneyland Paris one. And what's interesting is Tony actually brings up the point that, in his opinion, the Disneyland Paris version is the perfect version because they always felt the ride at Disneyland was a little backwards. That the Haunted Grotto that you go into first really should have been at the end of the ride. But they had to have the Haunted Grotto at Disneyland up front because they had to get you under the berm. And they had to get you outside of Disneyland into the ride show. So he says the way that they were able to create the Disneyland Paris show version was much, much better. It's flowed better. And I unfortunately haven't been able to experience the Disneyland Paris one. I didn't know if there was a research trip in the future set up for that. But, you know, just in case I have my reservations ready for that. Um, well, let's see, how the, this seg- let's see how this segment goes first. Then we'll, oh, before we'll- we do anything? Okay, sure, <laughs> sure, if, I, if I'm renewed for the next season. But even when I'm flipping through the Pirates book, just the, the – the, as we've mentioned in the other books, the concept art is just amazing. Seeing the layouts for New Orleans Square before they really knew what they were doing and Claude Coates' set designs, it's just absolutely phenomenal. And at the end of the book, it does talk about the movies. If you have an interest in the Pirates movies, they talk about how they took the sets and how they worked them and how they changed it. So I think it's got a little bit of everything for everybody. Yeah, and and like the Haunted Mansion book, uh, because they do both kind of follow a similar pattern, it's a great balance of history and details about the attraction and, like you said, what goes on worldwide. Uh, and the impressive thing to me, and when I talked to Jason, this is one of the things that, that I, I was really most amazed about, is because there is so much detail and so much history for both of these truly legendary attractions, to be able to condense it in such a wonderful way into these two books that both range around... 140, 150 pages somewhere following that same glossy 8.5 by 11 look. Mm-hmm. You know, cramming in the photos, cramming in the history, cramming in the interviews with people that worked on it, it's just amazing. And, you know, you don't want to talk about a book that's worth its weight in gold. I think both of them mm-hmm. um, clearly, you know, pardon the pun, clearly um, <laughs> do so. And it's, it's sort of um, a testament to Jason that he doesn't have just two, but he actually has three books on your top five-and-a-half list. Exactly, exactly. He's a, a wonderful author. He just writes so well, and as you said, he pulls this attraction that's almost been in existence for 50 years. Not quite, but with the development and everything, pulls it together so well, and you learn so much about the backstory. I mean, if you love Pirates, this book is its a definite... We're going to break people's uh, budgets with this one. Well, um, fortunately, you know these books, none of which are are prohibitively expensive. I mean, these these were run about twenty two dollars. Uh, I know since the world began at the time was around fifteen dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hundred years was also around twenty twenty five dollars. You might be able to find those even used online for much much less than that. Um, oh, of course, if you want so. Yeah. But, um, why don't we move on? Uh, okay. Because to to the next book because it you know. It, it's so easy to get wrapped up in, in just one or two of these, and we still have two more to go. So let's go on to, oh, to Jason's, <laughs> Jason's next book, which is number four on your list. Okay. The Haunted Mansion one, or are you skipping to 3A? You, you can... <laughs> <laughs> which one was well, it? Well, I so? kind of lumped those two in there, so... Oh, okay. Well, the, the only thing I'll add about the Haunted Mansion before we move is it is my favorite attraction. Don't tell my brother Andy. 
He thinks Splash Mountain's my favorite one. But it does it does exactly what you say, Lou. It he just takes that whole history of the Haunted Mansion and he condenses it in such a readable format and talks about the differences between all of them. It's it's just wonderful. But okay. Now that I've interrupted that one, the 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 fourth book on the list, the Disney Mountains, Imagineering at its peak. I, this book is just simply amazing, and I know the listeners are going to get tired of hearing us say, <laughs> but when they, you know, we pick the top ones, these really are the best, and they just stand above everything else, especially for the person that wants to start their collection. But what is amazing about this book, the Disney Mountains? published in 2007 so it's very very new basically covers all the major mountains so to speak from the Matterhorn Mountain all the way up to Expedition Everest and even covers some concept mountains that never quite made it off the drawing board and Jason goes in and looks at all the big five mountains Matterhorn, Space Mountain, Big Thunder, Splash Mountain and Everest looks at them at all the parks throughout the world if they're available at other locations, you know, like the Matterhorn is only at Disneyland. Everest is only available at Walt Disney World. And he goes really into a lot of great detail about the development of the rides. Um, one of my favorite quotes from the whole book, because I love quoting from the books, is when Walt is in Switzerland filming The Third Man on the Mountain, probably about 1957, and he becomes enamored with the Matterhorn Mountain itself from the actual Matterhorn Mountain. He sends a postcard back to Wed, to Walt Disney uh, what would become Imagineering with the words build this on the back and to me that just says so much about his vision and what he wanted and the fact that the Imagineers actually brought it to life I mean the Matterhorn is the first uh, steel frame roller coaster basically and it was the first thrill ride at Disneyland and from there it just talks about how much ahead of its time the, the uh, Matterhorn was the, uh, the chapter on Space Mountain though is my absolute favorite there's so much concept art by John Hench going through all the different ideas behind the book itself or behind the, the, the ride. Walt had the idea for it after building the Matterhorn. He wanted another thrill ride in the park. But in the mid-60s when they were trying to design it, they just didn't have the computer technology to create an indoor, in-the-dark, high-speed roller coaster like Space Mountain. And they just had to wait a little while until the early 70s and they got RCA to sponsor it and there's some great stories that John uh, Marty Sklar tells in the book with trying to get RCA to sponsor it. Well I'm just going to stop and, you here for a second because that's one thing that he highlights in the book that I really enjoyed was kind of answering some of those questions like you know how do they do that and and why did this you know why was this built this way and why did this change and why does the concept art differ maybe from what we have here or why is the West Coast version different than the East Coast version so you get mm-hmm. a, a very basic but very easily explained technical background on the different attractions as well. But more importantly, and I think this is maybe the hallmark of Jason's book, is he really focuses on, like Disney, the story and explaining the story and telling the Mm -hmm. story from beginning to end. I agree with you totally. And just the fact that you learn so much more about the development of the rides and what they were going to do with Space Mountain, have a loop outside and inside. And finally, when they were able to build it and... It was so successful at, at Disney World that they moved it over to Disneyland, and it's still, I mean, it's one of the most popular rides at the park. Uh, another story that I thought was really interesting is talking about Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, how that was Tony Baxter's first real ride that he was put in charge of, 
and it sort of stands on the ground or the ashes of Mark Davis's um, uh, the Big Thunder Mesa that he was going to do at the Magic Kingdom before uh, the suits or the execs decided to put pirates in. And it's got a lot of details about Big Thunder Mesa, uh, the whole area. So it's a fascinating read in and of itself. Um, Splash, of course, is covered. Splash Mountain, all the different versions throughout the park. And uh, the thing that my brother Andy likes to talk about is uh, with Splash Mountain, when they were first building it in Disneyland, Eisner was so excited to ride it that he kept begging the Imagineers. They hadn't even tested it. And he volunteered to be like a human sandbag, so to speak. And the quote is that they wrapped up their boss, the president, the, the CEO of the Walt Disney Company in trash bags and sent him on the ride so he wouldn't get too wet. At the end, he asked to go again. I said it was phenomenal and he knew they had a winner. Uh, the One of the last chapters is on Expedition Everest and I thought what was really great about this is Jason brings to the forefront that over the years what the Imagineers have done with their rides has created incredible themes and incredible theming but what they finally done with Everest is created a story, and it's considered the first roller coaster to have a story, where they don't have to tell you what's happening. You're not just going out into space; you're going off in search, you know, of the Yeti, and you see everything. And in my mind, actually, riding Expedition after Expedition Everest after reading Jason's book, it was so much more clear and in your face what the story was really, and it surprised me how well it worked. You know, because if you've been on the ride, <laughs> you know what it's all about. So right. but it's it's wonderful book. Yeah, wonderful and, and book. he covers even some of the the, the smaller mountains, uh, literally and figuratively, whether they be mountains at some of the water parks or even some of yep. the mountains overseas. Um, you know, Tokyo Disney Sea and whatnot. Uh, again, beautiful book. All three of them sort of complement one another. Um, and Jason, you know, you can't just say enough. But the last book on your list, um, other than since the world began, I think for me for maybe research purposes and artwork and rare photographs and unique stories, things like that, um, is probably, you know, my favorite. And, and I agree with you, probably the most important book um, to have if you, you know, for the, the to get to earn your Disney geek card, you definitely need this book. <laughs> That's right. The, the DGC, the Disney geek certificate <laughs> comes from Lou Mangello University. Is that LMU? <laughs> Yeah, I think we can use that one. Anyways, the the final book, Lou, as you mentioned, Walt Disney's Imagineering by the Imagineers themselves. They actually wrote this book. Published in 1996, it clocks in at almost 200 pages. And it, you guys, you need to run out and buy this book right now. And it's, it's almost impossible to describe because uh, it's almost like they just do everything that they could in less than 200 pages. And it's just... It's absolutely beautiful. Um, like I said, it's it's still in print. You should be able to find it, at least the paperback version, and it's worth it to grab it. it the, out, the artwork is what's going to catch your attention about this book. Not only is there concept art for rides, pre-production stills for the rides, pictures of the Imagineers at work at the rides, uh, working with the rock work on Big Thunder Mountain, logos even there are pages devoted just to explaining how logos help tell the story with their font 
choices, with the color choices, with how they've laid out the logo itself. Oh, they show the attraction posters. I, I, I could, I could wax about this book. I mean, poetically, it's just, it is absolutely uh, overwhelming. They, they actually break down what they do in Imagineering. And I almost said Imagineering. I'd be careful. Uh, <laughs> they feel like a nickel every time I say that. Um, they look at each department and, and relate it to the whole process of the story and how they create the show. So it doesn't just say, yeah, we sit around with a blank sheet of paper and you know do this, do that, do the other, and then we build it. It goes into each department. Um, the story process, how they create the show from the engineers that have to design it to the people that have to build it, and the, there's even show continuity to make sure they don't have things that contradict themselves. But it's just it, it, the concept art, the pre-production paintings, which we've said in every single book, you just stare at them, and you just marvel at how amazing these things are, and in most cases how you know, they leapt right off the page. And, and I mean, this is you know, this book is right up your alley because there's really not a lot of, you know, narrative text to this book. It really is mm -hmm. mostly a picture book. So George, you you know, you would feel it, right yeah. at home here. But imagine, I tried to think <laughs> how to describe the book as succinctly as possible, and the only way I could do it is imagine if you had a group of Imagineers taking you through Imagineering, taking you through the process, taking you through history, showing you anything that you could possibly imagine and things that you couldn't imagine from, like you said, the storyboards through the concept arts to seeing the models, to seeing them actually building the attractions, um, the entire genesis of how an attraction, how a theme park gets built um, from the use of color to the use of texture to things that you would never realize go into. We talk about the details that Disney puts into everything. This is the book that literally explains how they, they arrive at these details and what the importance and the significance of them is. Um, you know, We can literally talk for an entire show just about what this book covers in it. I, I agree with you. It's a great way to put it. And I was flipping through the book and hit some concept art and realized that the Imagineers were pretty much given a lot of carte blanche, so to speak, in producing this book. They've included a lot of concept art that normally Disney doesn't let out. Uh, concept art, not necessarily for failed attractions, but for stuff that was talked about and never done. There's uh, there's a page about the the proposed Burbank Entertainment Center, which sort of sounds like you know what they were talking about a year or two ago about these urban entertainment centers. There's a few pages about the. Um, Disney's America Park. They've got some concept art for that stuff that never quite made it off the drawing board. And you know, there's you know, Disney Sea, what we were supposed to eat in California instead of Disney's California Adventure. I, it's just amazing artwork. It's just gorgeous. It's beautiful. And as you mentioned, it's probably the most important work overall that's been done. Just for one comprehensive look at Imagineering and everything that they've done over the year and. Uh, as I was looking, and I made some show, uh, some notes to talk about. Uh, there's uh, there's even a small section in the book on Disney's uh, the Imagineering Information Research Library in Glendale, which of course you know is where I want to work one day. And they have over fifty thousand books and magazines that they use that the Imagineers use to create the attractions and the rides and the restaurants and the hotels and everything. 
So it's just it's an astounding work. Walt Disney Imagineering is probably probably you know probably the most important work that we've talked about. So definitely, and and probably the most you know all encompassing, visually beautiful. You know, if you could probably go out and get one book, if you had to pick one book off the list and, and add it to your your Christmas list or your birthday wish list, this would be the one. Uh, yes, because I, agree I think with you. It, I think it just covers um, you know everything that we talk about when we talk about Disney and Imagineering and the theme parks. And, and like I said, this book too not going to break the bank. It probably runs somewhere <laughs> about you know twenty five dollars or so, um, and well, well, well worth it. Yep, it is. It is available in paperback, and uh, I've actually given a copy of Walt Disney Imagineering to uh, to my brother Andy when he first started the blog with us, and gave another copy to my friend Ray over at Grumpy's spot to start him on his way. It's just one of those books that is a great first book in your collection. Gets yeah. you going. Sort of like your training wheels. Or your training ears. <laughs> the Imagineering Bible. It is the Imagineering Bible. The Imagineering Bible. Bible. So that is if you, what it if you, is. And so. if you are a wannabe Imagineer, you definitely need this book um, to really oh. understand the process. That's a great point, Lou. I hadn't even thought about that since I'm so stuck in my library career as is. <laughs> Although I'm hoping, you know, if Dave Smith is listening to this, you know, and he needs a, you know, assistant, I'm, I'm available. You know, and well, anyways. Well, listen, George, if you, if you want to come back on and uh, and you know talk about your resume some more, we'd love to have you. Because <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot. There are a lot more books that we need to cover and books that are, are cover very specific topics different different genres uh imagineering in depth the theme parks in depth there's so much more about the history of walt disney world and the disney company um depending on the kind of feedback i got on this i'd love for you to come back on and maybe cover <laughs> some of these other books um because obviously you not only have a love and a passion for it but clearly um you know you're, you're you clearly have dived heavily into all these books and uh and, and clearly love what they have to offer yes well next next weekend i am going shopping for another shelf <laughs> so i filled one up completely and you know we'll go from there uh but lou it's it's been a wonderful treat to talk with you about some of these books and i hope the listeners really take something from this to you know go out and purchase some of these and you know just enjoy them and 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 cherish them and Learn more about those little details at the park that are just so important, you know, while you're walking around and, you know, give Jeff a little run for his money. (laughs) That's right. So, (laughs) And uh, if you're interested in finding out more about any of these books or purchasing any of them, I will put links to them in the show notes where you can find them. Again, these are just some, some recommended places you can go, but there are plenty of places that you can find them online. Some books like The Pirates and the Haunted Mansion and the Disney Mountain books are also available at the Disney theme parks. So next time you go down uh, to one of the Disney theme parks, you can actually pick it up there. Uh, George from ImagineNerding.com, I really appreciate you coming on, spending some time about talking about, obviously, what are some of our two, uh, you know, our two favorites um, mm-hmm. books in our library. Thanks, Lou. It was a lot of fun.
that's all the time we have this week. I want to thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed this week's show. I also want to say thanks to my special guests, Adam Roth and Jason Diffendal from WDWCelebrations.com. You can find out more about A Wild Decade and all of the events by going to WDWCelebrations.com. I also want to say thanks to Tim Foster from Guide to the Magic. You can go and find out more about his books and his website over at GuideToTheMagic.com. And of course, George Taylor from the Imagine Nerding blog, that's ImagineNerding.com, for coming on and helping me out with this week's show. I'll put links to all their websites in this week's show notes, as well as to some other recommended sites and friends of the show, including ownerslocker.com, orlandofuntickets.com, and so many more recommended providers and links. I also want you to come by and visit our fun, friendly, and very welcoming forums over at disneyworldtrivia.com. There you can talk about anything you hear on the show, as well as Disney news and rumors. We now have more than 25,000 members registered on the site who are Disney fans just like you, so I invite you to come and join us. It's fun, it's free, and we love having a chance to welcome and meet new friends online every day. Again, those forums over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out the new look and all the new features of DisneyWorldTrivia.com, including an expanded article section that's updated every few days, as well as my new blog, our weekly polls, vacation planning section, and so much more, including the expanded trivia section with hundreds of new entries, lots of new photos. That is a part of the site that's being updated all the time with lots of new information and photos. And if there's something that you want to contribute, whether it be some trivia or a photo, you can use the contact form on the site to email me those. And speaking of emailing, if you want to email the show, you can email me anytime at lou at wdwradio.com. You can also call the voicemail with questions, comments, suggestions, just about anything you like. That's 206-202-4WDW. That's 206-202-4939. Finally, if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let other people know about it. Thanks very much for listening. Have a great week. See ya. Mangello. Mangello, Lou. This is Mike Belows again from Greenville. I called earlier and uh, had the suggestion of turning uh, Old River Country into a haunted island. I still think that's a good idea, some kind of haunted island over there. People love stuff like that. But I always wanted to say that I love your show, Lou, and I listen to a few other podcasts, but you have the best podcast. And uh, I'm 47 years old, and I hunt and fish a lot, and all my friends are rough, and we're pretty rough guys, but I still love Walt Disney, and I get it. My friends don't get it, uh, but I do. And uh, we've probably been five times in in the past uh, six or eight years, and... uh, I plan to trip for 10 to 12 people every time we go for me and my sister-in-law and her kids and my wife and my three kids. And Like I said, I get it, and I know you get it, Lou, and uh, maybe the only one who gets it as good as you is old Mike Scopa. Now, he gets it, and I've listened to a few of his speeches, and he is awesome, too. Uh, but I appreciate what you do, Lou. I really uh, love listening to your show. It really helps pass some time here at work when I'm running these machines. Uh, see ya. Bye. Hi, Luke. My name is Lindsay. And we just heard, my mom and I just heard you at Bristol, and I'm so excited because I'm going to Magic Meet, and I can't wait to meet you in person. I'll see you soon. Bye.